0: Okay, excuse me. Welcome to Progressive News Network on Blog Talk Radio. I'm the producer and host, Janine Moloff. Well, I'm just going to get straight to it. We have quite a bit of, of news and commentary today, and it's going to focus, our two stories are really going to focus on two very large stories in the mainstream media. We're just putting a slightly different slant on it. The first one is an interview that our founder, Rick Spizak, conducted with guest professor Wendy Lee on the January 6th committee investigation and the involvement of extremist groups such as the Proud Boys. And I know that it's going to be a very interesting interview. (laughs) Excuse me. The second story will be mine, and I'm going to cover the foul decision handed down by the Supreme Court in in the Dobbs case. which overturns the Roe precedent. And as you saw in the advert, the implications for all what are considered unenumerated rights are dire. And unenumerated rights, that's just a big fancy word for saying that all rights that weren't specifically listed in the U.S. Constitution, but are included, are, are assumed to be included, all right, as documented by, I believe it's the, not um, the, the Ninth Amendment, correct me if I'm wrong. Anyway, <coughs> we're going to get into that, excuse me. And then, of course, we'll have our Jackass of the Week Award. And this week, it goes to a very special jackass, or should I say a Jenny, so a female jackass. So with that, we're going to go straight to Rick Spizak's interview with Professor Wendy Lee. Let's see, I'm looking for it right now. Give me a second here. I Seriously, need new
1: glasses. Either that, or they need to make this a lot bigger. The print here. Okay, so oh, there it
0: is. Here's hoping that this is the right one. Here we go,
1: ladies oh, yeah. and
2: gentlemen. I have the great good fortune to bring one of my favorite professors, a philosopher, uh, a human rights activist, uh, uh, an athlete, uh, who is here today to discuss. Some of the ramifications of the recently begun hearings that we've had and and how that has an impact, not just on our current political state, but uh, basically it raises the question, can American justice come to terms with right wing violence, with the complete perversion of our uh, of our governmental systems by insiders you know um, and and so let me first ask you professor, as a student student and teacher of philosophy as a person who studied the American political system as you have um, what are some of your reflections on what you've seen of the hearings and and the ramifications of this uh, what America is faced with?
1: I I watched the first
3: hearing. I certainly intend to, to watch all of them or as much of as of all of them as I can. And I watch care I watch
1: pretty carefully. Um and I think I am, if anything,
3: more afraid for the failure. Not not only of the justice system in the United States, but the failure of this genuinely grand experiment in democracy that, that that I that I believe in, right? That I have wanted to believe in naively, right? My whole adult life, I grew up in a family that was conservative but reasonably politically aware, um, and. We were taught to care deeply about our country from the cradle, and I do and When I listened to some of the the testimony, the police officer testimony and her her description
1: of of blood you know and suffering, i just and then I switched over to fox, I just went back and forth a little bit and watch tucker
3: carlson diminish and deride the, the, both the officers diminish the events um, the the sarcasm that he exuded the the cynicism about about the grand experiment it it, it isn't just two completely different universes as sometimes people describe it it, it's we we have got to remember at our peril, we must remember one of them is false. The, the narrative, the Fox, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram narrative is a lie. The big lie is one part of this larger lie that's ultimately about the failure of democratic institutions. And they should just fess up and say that, right? That that is what they're after because that is what they're after, right? So there's these narratives that revolve around true events and real things and real suffering and real danger. And then there's this whole smorgasbord of lies. And the two are so radically different from each other, that it just kind of leaves your head spinning even to go back and forth between the channels. But I feel like we sort of have to do that so that we can be reminded of how important the truth is.
2: I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And and the impression I had from watching, and I, I'm one of those people that uh, as a student of history, as a student, uh, as an anthropology student, uh, I was glued to the Watergate hearings. I was glued to Iran Contra. Uh, I was <laughs> glued to the, the the other farce of nine eleven's pseudo investigation, uh, and and I, I'm going to be glued to this. But I had that that simultaneous sense on the one hand that there are people who have the absolute respect for the values that our country was founded on, that that individual rights, the individual vote, and at the same time, we find ourselves staring directly into the face of people who are happy to see totalitarian government as long as it lines their pocket. And I, I don't think that they're any eviler than that. I think they're simply mendacious. They're simply commercially driven. Uh, they would sell out their own mother, I'm sure, if they thought they had one.
3: That- and, and that is the definition, the formal definition of fascism, right? The the marriage of of government and um, the the sort of um un, unadulterated drive for profit. That was Mussolini's really articulate definition way in nineteen thirty six um and it seems like it just holds as it's as true today as it as it was in the in the run up to to world war II. and i I'm tempted to to include ukraine in some of this discussion too because ukraine is a reminder of the peril that not merely the United States finds itself in but that in many ways i think the The world, or at least all of the world's more democratic-leaning governments, find themselves in. And there are reasons why it is that Finland and Sweden are now, you know, suddenly interested in joining NATO. Right? These are the social democracies that I think see the danger as as plainly as it can be seen, um, and I think probably in some ways see it more clearly than many do in the United States
2: that this, this corporate excess, I think as long as governments are purchasable, they will be purchased, they will be misled. Uh, there will be this this horrendous compromise. And uh, another thing I, I have to ask you, because I, I have such tremendous respect for your thinking, for your judgment, for your years of study. How, how were the discussions in your class after that January 6th event?
1: Uh, well, it depends a good deal on the class, actually, because there really,
3: I know this sounds super cliché, but there really is a difference between an 18-year-old freshman and you know a 20, 21, 22 year old senior, right? And there really is a difference between right that younger student and the older student who's also a philosophy major and is in an upper division philosophy class. So the discussions that I can have with students about events like that, um, about January 6, they're not really different than discussions I could have with similar students in similar classes right after 9-11, however many years ago that was. Because as they get older, and particularly students who are self-selected for courses that have a lot of politically oriented content, they're a lot more savvy. They're also more, how do I wanna put it? They're much more self-reflective the older students about what they take to be their own responsibilities as citizens. Right? They are citizens. They they've sort of grown into being citizens, right? And the when the 18 year olds are are still, and I'm not dissing on them. No, of course just, not. They're just still kids, and you know, and it isn't until they've been knocked around a little bit by some of their college courses. Um, that I think they actually begin when I introduce students to in courses, especially the 18 year olds, the questions like, do you think we should reinstitute the draft? Right, that's a, a question that is going to come up um, in our discussion of Ukraine, right, as a kind of just in case, you know, worst kind of worst case scenario sort of thing, boots on the ground kind of, which would be terrible. That is the question that seems actually to ignite some real thinking. Um, And I always make sure to point out that I'm not just talking to the guys, right? That I'm also talking to the ladies in the room Um, because perhaps the next draft would be one size fits all as it ought to be if there were. And I'm no fan of the draft, but that's the question that really ignites a fire in their brains. Because it impacts them directly, and that's that's where you reach them you know when you can impact them directly
2: you know they announced this morning that there was a roundup of uh right wing activists
1: yeah uh, in
2: Idaho who were about to uh had plans to disrupt a uh a gay pride event yeah uh it it raised an issue with me and i i, I don't think you can know what uh, uh, Sterling and Kiriakou and Snowden have told us without understanding the degree of monitoring that is ongoing. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, Professor, do you think there is any chance in the world that the powers that be were
1: surprised at January 6th? No. No, it, it it's hard. It,
3: it, given everything that happened after nine eleven and all of the um surveillance provisions uh provided for by the Patriot Act, um, it's hard it's just hard to imagine that intelligence wasn't better than than it was. I, I mean, I, I hedge because on the on the one hand, I'm somewhat disinclined to give more credit.
1: Omniscience, yeah, <laughs> Than
3: to you know to intelligence services who are composed of human beings and you know certainly can you know screw stuff up um, even with even with good intentions. Um, So on the one hand, I'm kind of caught between that rock and and a hard place. You know, the hard place is, oh, but my God, look at all of the surveillance technology. I I mean, at at BU, BU now wants to film, right? All all of our classes, wants to have cameras in all of our classrooms. So now there are cameras in all of our classrooms. And every day when I walk into class, I unplug that thing every day. Right, as, an, as a small, perhaps trivial, but as a small act of resistance, a way of saying, no, 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 this is sacred space, right? It, it, it's, um, it's, a, it's like throwing a cold blanket on it to, to be surveilling it, to film it. Um, I, I'm not going to let you do that. This is private space between myself and my students. And so, you know, given that our lives, my point is that our, our lives are so pervaded. Right, that surveillance is so pervasive, it's hard to imagine that they didn't know more. Um, but how much more and what more? You know, I don't know. I think we'll find out more over the hearings. I think we'll know more by the end.
2: Let me ask you a, another philosophical question: When, <laughs> when the president? uses the systems of government to corrupt government to thwart uh, the power of the election. I can't imagine a greater crime against democracy, even against the Republic. I would guess that you feel, as I do, that history is going to judge this fellow very, very brutally.
3: And so many others. I waffle, actually. I go back and forth between whether I think history will be a harsher judge of Trump or a harsher judge of Mitch McConnell. Because what Mitch McConnell, for for far longer, has done to the country with respect to the ways in which he stacked SCOTUS, stacked the courts, I think there's some good argument to be made. That, the, that that impact will be longer and even worse, perhaps. It, it, you know, it's like Donald Trump is like this asteroid where the impact is horrific and immediate. And there's certainly repercussions and consequences, but the main part of the impact is sort of sudden and horrific, you know, and brutal. And then there's the Mitch McConnells of the world. They're more like seismic activity, just underneath the surface right underneath the crust but it rumbles and it rumbles and it rumbles and it goes on and on and on and you can you kind of ignore it that justice this justice this court that court until all of a sudden women women don't have human rights in this country right women reproductive rights are fundamental are at the absolute core of human rights this happens this month of June that Roe versus Wade is overturned. It leaves me breathless. It leaves me just speechless. The repercussions for women's lives, for children's lives, for all of our lives. More Mitch McConnell, even right. I mean that's Trump. Trump had a big role there, but that's a kind of diabolical event of of many that bring us to the Handmaid's Tale right, or make the handmaid's tale, somebody put it on Twitter this way, makes the handmaid's tale look like a a (laughs) rom-com. And that, so I think Mitch McConnell also will be judged very harshly.
2: You know, we're hearing about um, uh, basically the empowerment of vigilante justice, where they've taken uh, security, they've taken law enforcement, perverted as it may be, and put it into uh, the hands of those who would make money from prosecuting people. Uh, We're hearing about the general examinations of people who are suspected of of, uh, somehow uh, speaking against uh, anatomy. Um, Do you think, I'm looking for, (laughs) well, let me ask you, do you think this is enough to motivate people to come out and vote, to change this?
3: Oh my God! I hope so, because if it doesn't, maybe we never had a democracy at all. If it doesn't, like what? If it, it, it issues over gun violence and reproductive rights and the right to vote <laughs> don't get people out to, like, then like what does? You know what? <laughs> then I just, you know, what what country is this? I, you know, if those don't bring people out to vote. And vote vote for Democrats, at least Democrats. Um, that I just, I, I it just leaves me in a kind of despair. The the group you were talking about a, a moment ago, that's Patriot Front, um, and you know I find it sort of fascinating. I watch when I you know watch the talking heads on on any of the major news, CNN, MSNBC, they talk about Patriots Front as if there's some sort of new group, as if they haven't been around for a while. Right. Yeah. Well, I hear one guy say, you know, we don't really know a lot about them. You know, they haven't been, they're, they're, they're new, but they're not new. They're not new. They're not new as an organization. Right. I've been tracking Patriots for, for years. Right. And they're not new with respect to their disposition, their, their ideological, their political and ideological disposition. Right. It's just a, not even a new name for the same old, idiotic white supremacism great replacement theory baloney right that you know and young men who want to the same guys who joined patriot but are they really different than than the kid who walked in to, to the uvalde elementary are they really different really no i don't think so but they're all young men with guns Right, they're they're equally scary. That one that that kid used a gun, but the, they're are all these young, mostly white men with guns who are afraid of this boogeyman that they're going to be replaced because they're ginned up, right, by Tucker Carlson. I trying not to call him the name I'm really thinking, <laughs> right, by Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and Donald Trump and the whole litany of the far right which is the Republican Party that is entirely hijacked so far as I can see. You
2: know, Uh, the the thing that I find so unfortunate is that the right has managed to blame the sins of capitalism on liberals, which is so very successful. And, you know, I want to take these poor ill-educated, ill-nourished, people who are so, so at least aware enough that the game is rigged, but they're being pointed at the wrong enemy so successfully. And that's the real shame. And I find myself, when I engage with these people, I try to say, think about who's your real enemy because I think you're aimed in the wrong direction. I had a just ge- <laughs> I had a gentleman walk into my classroom one day and said, i of the clear blue." I mean, I'm introducing myself, and he's telling me that he's a tea bagger, and and that it's the Mexicans that are the real problem. And I said, "My friend," I said, "Look, I understand what you're really saying. You're really saying that people who show up at the at the, the you know in the construction site." are more and more Hispanic, but there's a reason why. Because the wages have been driven down and Mm -hmm. people who are taking advantage of them realize they can take advantage of them more than -hmm. they can take advantage of you. You're educated just enough to resent it. They're not. They're so desperate. I said, but there's not one Mexican who's ever shipped a job overseas. You have to understand that. And, And I heard... The ultimate cliche, just a few months ago, I've relocated to another part of the country. And, and I, as I'm obtaining garbage pickup service, right? Of course, free of, they don't recycle. No, that's an extra thing. But, but I'm talking to this gentleman in his mid 60s, runs a one man garbage hauling business, and And he he walked into my house to talk to me, and my wife and I both had masks on, and he looks at him and he goes, "You know, I don't believe in any of that virus or any of that socialism and i thought well that's that's an interesting, interesting intersection. He goes, "You know, I'll tell you this is just before the last election. He said, "You know, I can tell you this that once this election's over, all this talk of virus, that's going to be behind us and I said you know, I, I'm a little puzzled. I I don't see the direct connection between viruses and and science, and then somehow socialism, uh, unless you mean the socialism of we're all concerned that everybody stays safe. Is is that it? He said, Oh no no no, that's not at all. He said, Because see, whenever I get to be a millionaire, whenever I get to be a millionaire, I don't want someone telling me what to do with their with my money, and I thought. Here is like, this is the archetypal guy. This is, this guy has bought this nonsense and he really thinks that he's in danger of becoming a millionaire and then further. So let me ask you this. I'm sure you were as touched as I was hearing the brave patriotism that supports the rule of law and justice and the right to vote as as wonderful as that is, it was so terrible to to imagine what she must have faced do you do you have hope that the u s justice department is going to bring charges at the top of this criminal syndicate yes,
3: i
1: have,
3: i think we have to hope um so yes i i think the I think the right question actually is, do I have faith that they will? I certainly have hope that they will. I don't, I'm not entirely. I I set the bar lower. Yeah. I'm not sure. I understand that the wheels of justice can grind slowly. I understand. I, I, I really do understand that the importance of facts and having all of their ducks in a row and, you know, going after sort of the, lower rung figures as a way of building the case for the right the the higher rung i i get it and it's also been a year and a half right since j6 um and there are also elections coming up in november yeah and and that and that is
1: terrifying
3: that is just terrifying um you know the way that those elections may go um so i just I can't not hear that clock ticking about a a time that's running out time. That's just, you know, getting to be shorter and shorter. And so I know that Merrick Garland is, is watching these hearings. Um, That's good. I'm glad. I hope he's watching really closely and I hope that he's hearing things that he feels a moral and patriotic duty to, to act on that are Clearly going to be consistent with, you know, tons of other evidence he's already got. I, I, I don't know that I think it's likely he's going to hear anything completely new. I don't know that I care about that so much. I just want him to hear enough that 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 it's that it's motivating. So, I have hope. I don't know how much faith I have, but I know that the democracy is hanging on it.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm gonna guess that. Uh if if our uh, respective state governments demand the teacher's uh, arm?
1: Oh, <laughs> no.
3: <laughs> no. No, I've already got a no weapons clause on my syllabi <laughs> for this coming semester um, because PA is an open carry state. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and then I even have to put that on a syllabus. You know, g- grades, absences. Essay assignments, weapons. (laughs) (laughs) What world is (laughs) that? I'm living in. But I have to tell my students that they can't bring their ar 15s in my classroom. And yet, you know, I was at a a March for Our Lives rally in Bloomsburg yesterday, taking pictures. And I took pictures of a counter-protester. There were only two that I could see. And he was standing there on, on the corner, just sort of across the street from us, with an AR-15. And I photographed him with his AR-15 and made it public, um, you know, as a way of illustrating just the stark contrast. And that there's only two of those guys and a good, I don't know, 100, maybe 120 or so of us, which considering, you know, that this is a really conservative red state small town, I was very proud of my community yesterday.
2: Well, I I can't thank you enough for for you generously giving your time to this conversation. I will ask, my dear, as as a philosopher and teacher of philosophy, if you had some final message for our listeners, what would you say to either listen for or to try to soak up? from this important set of hearings?
3: I think first I would say simply um, make it a point to watch them. It is is your patriotic duty. It is your patriotic and moral duty if you care at all about your country, your neighborhoods, your states, your communities, you must watch them. Um, Listen for consistencies and inconsistencies, logic and illogic. Listen for things that you things that you might want to ask your own state representatives about, right? I mean, in PA, we have Doug Mastriano, who is running on the Republican ticket for governor of the state, and there are pictures of him inside the Capitol building on that day, right? Um, you know, we've got Scott Perry, right, who, who apparently asked for, you know, a preemptive pardon from Trump, and now he denies it. Right, we we have some of the, some pretty colorful characters in our state that are directly relevant. Delicately um, so, put. For, so for the folks in my own state, I'd say, you know, look here here are here are representatives of this incredible wrongdoing of this attempted at coup, right? To whom you should pay careful attention as their names come up in these hearings, because they are a disservice to you right? They not only don't represent you, they are exploiting you and using you for their own advantage and their own gain. These are not patriots. These are traitors. And I don't use that word lightly. These are traitors.
2: Well, thank you, my friend. Uh, I can't thank you enough. It's always a breath of fresh air to talk to someone with your perspective. You're welcome. Thank you so much, my friend. Take care of yourself. Be safe.
1: Yep. You too. You as well. Bye. Bye bye. Okay. So
0: that was Rick Spiesak's interview with Professor Wendy Lee uh, about the events of January sixth and the commission, and really the the hopes and dreams and the fears of for the future. (laughs) Excuse me. I'm going to try not to cough too much today. So now we're going to get to my piece and it deals with of course the row reversal now I'm going to do something today that I don't normally do usually I come on I come on air and I have a really long outline I download the information that I actually speak to and uh, that includes the sourcing all of it and then I just speak a little more casually And I'm going to start this segment with that, but then what I'm going to do actually is regarding the row reversal, I published a piece in Buzzslash. I'm a featured columnist there. And it's part of a series that I am doing, which is called the series about judicial capture. You have to understand that's an odd phrase. What's judicial capture? Well, judicial refers to the judiciary, the courts, and capture means that basically uh, there's some criminality going on. So when we refer to judicial capture, we're talking about a court system that has been not only morally compromised, but has been legally compromised, that is not legitimate. Um, there's too many people in the jud- judiciary that are trying to force their views on everyone else. But keep in mind, a judge is supposed to be a referee, all right? And, yes, they do interpret the law, but they have to stick to the law. And, you know, you'll see often, you know, conservatives will accuse liberals of judicial activism, and liberals will accuse conservatives of judicial activism, because it can work both ways. Uh, it can. I'll, I'll grant you that. But the majority of instances where there's judicial activism and it is not reflective of actual justice, namely equal justice before the law as mandated in the equal protection clause of the 14th amendment, the guilty party are usually extreme conservatives that want to restrict uh, actual rights to the people that they approve of which are white, Christian, cisgendered men. Let's just call it out. So, you know, we know Roe was reversed. We were expecting it. Everybody's fuming. I was expecting I'm not shocked by it. And so as I was looking at Kind of kind of going through Sunday morning talk news talk shows, I took a few notes and first of all, um, and I'm going to talk on my notes and then afterwards I'm going to actually read the piece that I published in Buzzflash, which I don't normally do, but as I was looking at these talk shows and listening to these alleged experts, most of what was touched upon is actually covered in the article so that's not me bragging i I really looked it over so. On Face the Nation today, Margaret Brennan is the the host, and she interviewed both Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, who's pro-choice, and Governor Kristi Noem of, um, I believe, South Dakota, who is anti-choice. I refuse to call conservatives and Republicans that are anti-choice, I refuse to call them pro-life. Okay? If you're going to say across the board you are pro-life, that means you also must be against the death penalty. You also must be against wars of empire. And the only wars would be when we're really when we've really been attacked first. All right. If you're pro life, you would be for medical care for everyone. If you're pro life, you would be for a living wage. If you're pro life, you would be for equal justice in front of the law. The Fourteenth Amendment would be strengthened, not weakened as the Republicans want. So don't you dare say because you're anti-abortion and you're anti birth control that so you're pro-life take that sanctimonious garbage and put it right put it right where it belongs because it's a steaming pile of you know what okay I had to I had to go there so Christy Nome was kept repeating the state's rights trope okay that basically you know this is just This decision in the Dobbs case, which reversed the Roe decision, is just sending the decision back to the state legislatures and then sending it back to the people. Well, here's the thing. Ms. Nome. what I would like to say to you very simply is this. In my home state of Missouri, the state legislature never listens to the people. And I'll give you an example. Christy Nome, and, let's see now, another GOP, or I think it was Governor Asa Hutchinson, they were repeating the, the lie that women that become pregnant because they, and they can't get birth control or abortion, let's say, that they will be cared for. Their medical needs will be taken care of. I'd like to know how, especially if they're low income. I know in my home state of Missouri, we passed through a public popular vote referendum. We passed a, a, a statute saying, yes, we want Medicaid expansion. We did that in 21. And guess what our state legislature dominated by Republicans and our Republican dumb jerk governor did? They just took the results of that of that vote, that public vote, and said we're not going to obey. All right? People need to understand the law isn't just an issue of we probably won't do something. When you're looking at legal arguments, people, you need to look at not only what is said but what is omitted what could come down the pike you have to think that way so margaret brennan she tried to question governor Nome a little bit but she just let christy Nome go on blathering with this nonsense states rights argument okay and Nome kept repeating it um you know again what I said happened in Missouri to expand Medicaid uh, was reported by NPR, National Public Radio. And it's in an article. Uh, the headline is Missouri will not expand Medicaid despite voters' wishes, Gov- Governor says. Okay? So don't hand me this garbage because I don't want to hear it. So with that, and no further ado, I'm going to take a little,
1: <coughs> excuse me, a little uh, cup of tea. My um, allergies are kicking up, and I'm going to go straight to the story
0: that I published in Buzzflash because it covers all these questions. Again, I don't normally do this, but you know, I'm of the opinion if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Okay, so let's go. This published earlier the week in the week. I think it published Monday, and the yeah, and the um, somebody made a goof. <laughs> And the Roe the Ro Reversal was handed down on Friday. Okay. And, the, again, it's Janine Muller for BuzzFlash. Okay, that's my column. Judicial Capture Series, The row Decision. Here we go. Keep in mind, throughout this entire thing, I'm talking about the pending decision because, again, this published before the decision was actually handed down. The pending Supreme Court reversal of the Roe and Casey decisions are imminent. The leaked decision, in draft form, is not only an attack on abortion rights under any circumstance, it is also an indirect attack on associated privacy rights, which are necessary to fulfill the promise granted by the Equal Protection and Due Process Clauses of the 14th Amendment. The right to privacy and subsequent rights couched under that legal umbrella are considered unenumerated rights which are not directly cited by name, though they are consistent with the principles espoused by the Constitution. These rights include the following, the right to engage in consensual relations with other adults, the right to marry outside of your race, the right to same-sex marriage, the right to control your reproductive life by using contraception, and the right for cisgendered women or members of the LGBTQ communities to obtain credit live where they like, and possess legal rights equal to the rights enjoyed routinely by white, Christian, cisgendered men regardless of state-level laws seeking to legalize and legitimize state-sanctioned discrimination under the state's rights argument. This leaked decision, excuse me, sorry about that, this leaked decision written by Justice Samuel Alito goes one step further. It transfers power from the federal judiciary to individual state legislatures. Put bluntly, this pending decision is a direct assault on federal judicial review itself. It's the originalist thing, stupid. Wielding the bogus doctrine of constitutional originalism, like a psychotic teen waving a fully loaded ar 15 Alito and fellow radical conservatives seek to engineer a raw transfer of power from the judiciary to radically conservative, anti-democracy state legislatures presently controlled by the GOP. With a sweep of a pen, Alito and company will allow for the revival of Jim Crow and the subsequent ARSAT neo-Confederacy, which will be immune from any federal judicial review. The process by which this transfer will occur is Machiavellian in scope and intent. Alito's majority opinion goes far beyond abortion rights and associated unenumerated rights couched within the privacy argument. Alito has written a judicial edict which disbands the authority and legitimacy of judicial review itself on the altar of the old state's rights trope. It could be considered the logical conclusion to a multiple decade-long campaign specifically created to dismantle federal supremacy both in Congress and the courts. So how did this single pending decision pose a direct threat to judicial review itself? The foundation of Alito's argument is crafted by elevating history and tradition over actual legal precepts, and it sets the stage to rescind any unenumerated rights at a wholesale level rivaling Walmart. Reasoning behind pending Roe reversal. By now, the global legal community is painfully aware of this leaked draft, which promises to reverse the Roe and Casey decisions Respectfully, respectively. Excuse me. The lay community is also aware that the unenumerated right to privacy is also in jeopardy and the ramifications are dire. Contrary to the urban myth constructed by anti-abortion, anti-women's rights groups, Roe was not singularly an abortion decision. It was a reasoned response to state-level intrusion on privacy rights. Though privacy rights are not specifically mentioned in the Constitution, they are alluded to as necessary to fulfill the promise cited under the 14th Amendment, specifically via the Due Process and Equal Protection Clauses. Within this framework, various rights were granted by striking down state laws which denied equal rights to racial minorities, women, and the LGBTQ communities. No longer could states deny interracial or gay couples the right to marry. No longer could states deny women the right to control their reproductive lives by using birth control. No longer could states criminalize gay sex, essentially criminalizing being gay. Every one of these activities were protected under the judicial umbrella of privacy rights. So how did privacy rights incorporate the right to marriage equality, birth control, and abortion?
1: Privacy rights explain. Take a little sip of tea right now. I'm hoping my voice will keep going. All right. Noted legal expert Marjorie Cohn recently
0: published a piece which condemned this attack on privacy rights. Excuse me. Cohn wrote the following, quote, Alito's explosive draft opinion in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, which was leaked to Politico, Samuel Alito overruled Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey. His draft holds that abortion is no longer a constitutional right and leaves the fate of those who seek abortions to the vagaries of state laws. And these uh, quotes from Marjorie Cohn come from her article, which published in Truthout. uh, The headline was, Will Demise of Roe Be a Death knell for Contraception Marriage Rights? Cohn goes on to quote Alito in the leaked decision as the following, quote, we therefore hold that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion, end quote. Alito further wrote that, I'm sorry, Alito further wrote that, quote, Roe and Casey must be overruled, and the authority to regulate abortion must be a return, I'm sorry, must be returned to the people and their elected representatives, end quote. Cohn explained the history and rationale behind the privacy rights argument, quote, nearly a half century ago, the Supreme Court held in Roe that the Constitution protects, quote, a woman's decision whether or not to terminate her pregnancy. The court relied on longstanding precedents holding that the 14th Amendment's concept of personal liberty, quote, prohibits governmental interference with personal decisions about marriage, contraception, procreation, family relationships, childbearing, and education, end quote. Cohn then explained the additional rationale behind the Casey decision, stating that, (coughs) excuse me, 20 years later in Casey, the court reaffirmed the central holding of Roe that a pregnant woman has the right to an abortion before the fetus becomes viable at about 23 weeks of pregnancy. Casey highlighted the settled principle that the Constitution places limits on a state's right to interfere with a person's most basic decision, decisions about family and parenthood, as well as bodily integrity. Cohn added that the court cited Casey, quote, with approval in Washington v. Glucksberg, in which it listed the right to abortion with the rights to marry, to use contraception, to have children, and to bodily integrity, which are recognized in a long line of cases that interpret the due process clause, end quote. I'm going to stop reading here for a minute. Look at that last one. Washington v. Glucksberg. the right to abortion was linked with the right to marry, to use contraception, etc. So you can pretty much guess. Row going down, these other rights are going to go down, too. Back to my article. Cohn reminded us that, quote, it requires due process before the government can deprive someone of life, liberty, or property. Casey was also used as precedent to strike down state laws criminalizing homosexual relationships in Lawrence v. Texas. The Lawrence decision stated that, quote, that that the, quote, right to liberty under the due process clause guarantees a realm of personal liberty of the government may not enter." End quote. The same precedents applied in Obergefell v. Hodges, the case that recognized the right to same-sex marriage. The Obergefell decision explained the rationale. Quote, like choices concerning contraception, family relationships, procreation, and childbearing, decisions concerning marriage are among the most intimate that an individual can make. And are therefore inherent in the concept of individual autonomy and are and thus protected by the due process clause. End quote. That quote came from came from Justia U.S. Supreme Court Center, um, in the the case of Obergefell versus Hodges. Justice Kennedy wrote the majority opinion for Obergefell and in the introductory statement clearly made the case for not only due process but also for equal rights before the law, stating that quote. The Constitution promises liberty to all within its reach, a liberty that includes certain specific rights that allow persons within a lawful realm to define and express their identity. The petitioners in these cases seek to find that liberty by marrying someone of the same sex and having their marriages deemed lawful on the same terms and conditions as marriages between persons of the opposite sex. End quote. And again, that quote came from Justia U.S. Supreme Court Center. Now, okay, back to my article. Now, Alito writing for the conservative majority rebutted these predictable charges by attempting to describe the decision as a surgical strike. And not the wholesale attack on equal rights that this decision authorizes. Justice Alito's dishonest guarantee. Alito wrote in the leaked draft opinion for Dobbs a disingenuous guarantee that this decision would not undermine any other related rights. To quote Alito from the leaked draft, quote, we emphasize that our decision concerns the constitutional right to abortion and no other right. Nothing in this opinion should be understood to cast doubt on precedents that do not concern abortion, end quote. And this uh, quote came from the uh, Politico piece of that included the initial draft of the decision. Back to the article. Apparently Justice Alito was banking on the entire legal community to be asleep at the wheel and failed to notice that other rights, such as the right to contraception, the right to same-sex marriage and sexual freedom, are dependent on the same Roe and Casey precedents which holds that the Due Process Clause protects fundamental privacy rights, and within those privacy rights reside autonomy rights to make independent and personal life decisions that no state legislature can rescind. Mark Joseph Stern wrote for Slate that Alito's draft opinion, quote, disavows the entire line of jurisprudence upon which Roe rests, the existence of unenumerated rights that safeguard individual autonomy from state invasion. Stern added, quote, Alito asserts that any such right must be deeply rooted in the nation's history and tradition and access to abortion has no such roots." And that's from uh, the Slate article that Stern wrote, Supreme Court Leaked abor- Abortion Draft, How the Court Plans to Overturn Roe v. Wade. To quote Alito from the leaked draft, quote, the inescapable conclusion is that a right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and tradition. On the contrary, an unbroken tradition of prohibiting abortion on pain of criminal punishment persisted from the earliest days of the common law until 1973, and that was as documented by Document Cloud, Documents, SCOTA's initial draft document. Essentially, Alito and his fellow conservatives have struck down unenumerated rights along with Roe, and this has been a central goal of originalist and textualist. Such conservative forces would reduce the Constitution to a minimalist document trapped in the social mores and laws of the 16th century. All rights must be strictly identified and understood by the language and expectations of the time the Constitution was originally written and ratified. This ludicrous limitation results in the body of law being reduced to a laundry list of privilege for white Christian cisgendered males. Essentially, Alito and other originalists are writing the judicial version of, quote, no minorities need apply, end quote. This opinion written by Alito is a stealth attack on the 14th Amendment due process and equal protection clauses. If both due process and equal protection rights are dependent on the history and tradition of the Constitution at the time of its creation, then these rights would have been rendered impotent in this limited reading of the 14th Amendment as the original writing historically excluded women and people of color. Harvard history professor Jill Lepore spoke to this limited reading of the 14th Amendment in The New Yorker. Her piece lays flat the absurdity and injustice of Alito substituting the history and tradition for actual jurisprudence. Quoting 19th century abolitionist Sarah Grimke's single-sentence statement, Lepore offered the most stinging and succinct rebuttal on Alito's history and tradition justification. Quote, the page of history teems with women's wrongs, end quote. Lepore extended the question beyond women's rights to the history of racial discrimination rooted in slavery to decide the rights of racial minorities. Lapore posed the question, quote, would the court decide civil rights cases regarding race by looking exclusively to laws and statutes written before emancipation? And that is from the, all this, oh, let me go on. Lapore pointed out that U.S. history and tradition does not, quote, team with women's rights, end quote. Lapore also added a final philosophical rebuttal, namely that, quote, To use a history of discrimination to deny people their constitutional rights is a perversion of logic and a betrayal of justice, end quote. And those are all from her article in the New
1: Yorker uh, entitled, Of Course the Constitution Has Nothing to Say About Abortion. Going on with the article. In addition, this decision also leads to the potential criminalization
0: of pregnancy itself. There are radical conservatives who herald this opinion with glee, including the more troubling aspects, which include the potential criminalization of pregnancy itself. Author Michelle Goodwin dubbed, quote, the creeping criminalization of pregnancy, end quote, in her book, Policing the Womb, Invisible Women and the Criminalization of Motherhood. Goodwin discusses in detail how the reversal of Roe and Casey could potentially criminalize women who suffer the pain of stillbirths or miscarriages. Every woman with a history of miscarriages will have to worry about pending murder charges, even if there's a medical history which documents the high probability of miscarriage due to conditions such as endometriosis. Women lacking health insurance or who are forced to work during difficult pregnancies could lose their child and face murder charges. These issues will affect low-income women and women of color disproportionately. Amnesty International defines the criminalization of pregnancy as, quote, the process of attaching punishments or penalties to women for actions that are interpreted as harmful to their own pregnancies. This includes laws that punish actions during pregnancy that would not otherwise be made criminal or punishable. It also refers to other laws not specific to pregnancy, but which are either applied in a discriminatory way against pregnant women and or have a disproportionate impact on pregnant women who can can in practice work as de facto criminalization. And that comes from Amnesty International. The report is USA criminalizing pregnancy, policing pregnant women. Essentially, reversing both Roe and Casey not only potentially criminalizes pregnancy, it will leave many women in a constant state of anxiety regarding even wanted
1: pregnancies. (coughs) Excuse me.
0: (coughs) Need a little drink here. Would a woman's type of work potentially pose a danger to a developing fetus? Will we go back to the days when women were forbidden to smoke, drink, or work outside the home during a pregnancy? <laughs> Additionally, will infertile couples be charged with manslaughter when multiple embryos are discarded? Will stem cells research be ended and scientists criminally charged? Will women, requir- will women requiring an abortion to save their lives be left to die in our maternity suites? Real-world ramifications include a 14th Amendment sacrifice to states' rights trope.
1: Excuse me, folks. (coughs) Sorry about that. While this sounds like hyperbole,
0: these possible outcomes are very real, especially when viewed through the judicial lens of states' rights. Alito and fellow conservatives consider this dangerous ruling a case of simply returning the issue of abortion to each state legislature. This has been the mantra idolized by conservatives since the injustice of Jim Crow. Now, this neo-Confederate philosophy has been more recently popularized by conservative brats like Ben Shapiro, who wrongfully claimed this SCOTUS decision, quote, returns the issue of abortion to the state legislatures where it originally resided. And the fact is that the Constitution of the United States has nothing to say about abortion. And these quotes from Ben Shapiro come from his YouTube program the headline is ben shapiro breaks down leaked supreme court draft decision on abortion shapiro further pontificated that the Roe decision was crafted quote on the basis of no precedence on the basis of nothing in the constitutional text on the basis of no real logic decided to simply usurp the issue and then top down a bunch of non-elected judges decided that they were going to decide the issue for all of america end quote now to be fair, Shapiro was correct in one aspect, namely that the SCOTUS, Miller Supreme Court, overruled the totality of state-level legislatures with the Roe and Casey's decisions. Shapiro conveniently omitted some history regarding state laws that denied equal rights to women and the LGBTQ community. Prior to 1973, state legislatures throughout the United States passed laws that not only criminalized abortion, but also criminalized birth control, interracial marriage, gay sexual relations, child-rearing practices, and educational choices. Essentially, state legislatures criminalized being a woman or being gay. The Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment was trampled by the states' rights argument. Keep in mind that the same states' rights argument provided the philosophical underpinning for the Confederacy and later for Jim Crow. Alito wrote the, quote, Opinion of the Court, where he blatantly stated the following, quote, We hold that Rowan Casey must be overruled. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives, end quote. And that was found in the political piece. This statement represents the court abdicating their responsibility to adjudicate. Alito wasn't sending a decision back due to technical errors. He sent the case and the issue back to the state, literally declaring that the court had no right of judicial review over the activity of state-level legislatures. This irresponsible action is unfathomable, unfathomable in its criminal negligence. You would think that Alito would be satisfied with his handiwork, but this was not the case alito arrogantly claimed that this decision was eradicating another unjust supreme court precedent on the same scope as dred scott v sanford and plessy v ferguson with the arrogance of the comically infamous church lady popularized by dana garvey on saturday night live alito claims the mantle of civil rights savior with this decision adam serwer wrote in the atlantic that quote alito claims to be sweeping away one of the great unjust Supreme Court precedents, such as Dred Scott v. Stanford, which held that black people had no rights white men were bound to respect, or Plessy v. Ferguson, which upheld racial segregation. And this is from, um, I'm sorry here, this is from Serwer's piece that ran in the Atlantic, headline Alito's plan to repeal Roe and other 20, 20th century civil rights. So all these Sirwer quotes are coming from that piece. Serwer pointed out Alito's galling hypocrisy, alleging that Alito used the logic of the Plessy case to justify the state's rights argument as long as each individual state legislature deemed the statute reasonable. Alito's, and okay, I'm going to read that part again. Serwer pointed out Alito's galling hypocrisy, alleging that Alito used the logic of the Plessy case to justify the state rights argument as long as each individual state legislature deem the statute, quote, reasonable, end quote. And this comes from supreme.justia.com. Alita's argument allows for state legislatures to decide what is reasonable, regardless of whether such statutes violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. This judicial permission slip from the Supreme Court would grant state legislatures the right to discriminate with impunity even as Alito wrote, quote, when the laws at issue concern matters of great social significance and moral substance, end quote. Georgetown, law, Georgetown University law professor Aderson Francois explained to Cerber, quote, Plessy is at its absolute core a state's rights case in which the court envisioned a notion of federalism so weak, so toothless, so bereft of substance that the federal government had no legitimate role in protecting black people from states imposing racial segregation upon them. This draft does the same thing. It envisions a notion of federalism so weak, so toothless, so bereft of substance that the federal government has no legitimate role in protecting women from states imposing forced births upon them. The implications of this illegitimate decision. The implications of this leaked decision are vast and dire. Contrary to Alito's, Alito's specious claim that this decision only concerns itself with abortion, this decision is the first trial balloon meant to nullify all unenumerated rights. And that came from a piece in The Atlantic, what Roe could take, could take down. Law professor Stephen Vladek at the University of Texas at Austin explained further, quote, the majority can believe it's only eviscerating a right to abortion in this draft but the means by which it does so would open the doors to similar attacks on other unenumerated rights, both directly by attacking the underpinnings of those doctrines and indirectly by setting a precedent for such an attack. And again, this comes from Server's piece uh, in The Atlantic, Alito's plan to repeal Roe and other 20th century civil rights.
1: Okay. In conclusion, (coughs) excuse me, in conclusion, the pending leak decision of the Dobbs case promises
0: to end any abortion rights at the federal level. Leaked documents have revealed that SCOTUS Supreme Court plans to transfer power back to individual state legislatures by abdicating any role of federal judicial review. Justice Alito wrote the majority opinion, which can only be called an endearing opine, is the days of the Confederacy and later Jim Crow, where state legislatures ruled supreme, routinely violating the very human rights espoused in the Constitution with impunity. The human rights declared so piously in the Constitution are sacrificed on the altar of states' rights. It is ironic that while Trump lost the 2020 election, he won the legal battle dedicated to eradicating the 14th Amendment by rendering the Equal Protection and Due Process Clauses virtually impotent. Alito and his students have elevated the concept of history and tradition above actual legitimate jurisprudence. This leaked decision will be the first of many illegitimate attacks on unenumerated rights based on that same 14th Amendment, courtesy of the constitutional originalists and textualists. Those who call themselves originalists or textualists, again, would reduce the Constitution to an inconvenient laundry list, as opposed to an ethically bound statement of legal principle. These originalists slash textualists are conservators of the unjust status quo. Their love of states' rights stems from the philosophical school of thought that justified the Confederacy, slavery, and Jim Crow. They are the handmaidens of unbridled corporate power, and they use the violence of white supremacy, misogyny, homophobia, and economic inequality to continue state-sponsored oppression on the behalf of that same unbridled corporate power. Toledo and federal conservatives have prostituted their professional credibility with its academically unsound and unjust decision. They never heard the words of a true justice, namely Ruth Bader Ginsburg when she eloquently stated her vision for a truly just legal system, to quote, to quote, to quote the notorious RBG Ruth Bader Ginsburg, quote, I didn't change the constitution, the equality principle was there from the start. I just was an advocate for seeing its full realization." End quote. And that was my piece in Uh, BuzzFlash, I hope that you check it out. It covered everything. I didn't feel like I needed to add hardly anything else, truth be told. And that is really a sad testimony to our system. Now, hopefully I won't disconnect
1: everybody. Give me a second here. I need to get a certain special effect. All righty. Give me a minute. Sorry about this folks, give me a minute here, okay, i got to get this this sound effect, alrighty. Give me a minute, hopefully I'll find it because we're coming to our special, here we go here.
0: So now we are headed to... And again, I want to make sure all of you understand. Roe reversal is so very dangerous. Other unenumerated rights are actually endangered, and the unenumerated rights, if you if you have somebody say they don't exist, are found in the Ninth Amendment. Now, conservatives love the Tenth Amendment, and they only love part of it, where it says the power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution. No, nor prohibited by it to the states are, are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. And conservatives in the GOP ignore the part of to the people. They want to set up fifty little systems instead of a United States. I prefer the Ninth Amendment, and it says the following: the enumeration. What is that word? Enumeration is just listing. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Those are those unenumerated rights. And illegitimately, the GOP would get rid of it. And this case was Alito creating a bridge, a, a new precedent bridge for the eradication of all unenumerated rights, especially those that granted finally equal rights to communities of color, the LBGD. LBGTQ community, and women of all, from all ranks. All right, that's what this is about. So now we are getting ready for our Jackass of the Week. This is my favorite part
1: here. That's why I'm looking for the sound effect. It's time for our Jackass of the Week! All right, this week... We have a very special jackass, or should I say a
0: Jenny, and it's Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. Now, Stefanik is a new rising star in the GOP. When she first entered Congress, she was a Republican, but she, was, she didn't like Trump. And then she saw Trump build more power. Now she loves Trump. And this was a piece that was in Business Insider, but it originated with Media Matters for America, where Stefanik recently endorsed another GOP candidate by the name of Carl Palladino. And she did so knowing that that Palladino made a statement that Hitler, quote, is the leader we need today. We need somebody inspirational, end quote. I'm not kidding. Okay? Um, Keep in mind, this is Palladino was saying he recently heard someone talk about how Hitler, quote, aroused the crowds. And then Palladino commented that, quote, that's the kind of leader we need today. We need somebody inspirational. We need somebody that is a doer and has been there and done it, end quote. Well, it's true. Hitler did inspire the genocide, the the immoral genocide of 11 million people, which 6 million were Jews for no other reason other than they existed. And Stefanik is the third-ranked Republican in the House, and here she endorsed. Palladino's campaign is documented by her own Twitter account. Now, Palladino is a businessman, uh, according to this article, and he's a Republican politician. He's appeared as a commentator on Fox News and Fox Business, no shock there. Um, and he announced his congressional campaign for New York's 23rd Congressional District. Turns out Paladino has a long history of making bigoted remarks. Again, it's documented by publicaccountability.org. Media Matters reported uh, earlier that Palladino shared a post on Facebook where he portrayed uh, mass shootings that occurred recently in Buffalo and O'Leary, Texas as false flag attempts. I'm sorry, false flag attacks. And that these false flag attacks were meant to help Democrats, quote, revoke the Second Amendment and take away guns, end quote. So once again, Palladino is the guy who said he, he, was, he was on, uh, among other things, February 13, 2021, he was in the R House radio show, okay, it's a podcast, and he was, um, the program is hosted by real estate executive Peter Hunt, and Hunt asked Palladino, how would you, quote, rouse the population to get people, you know, motivated about change, and Palladino said the following, quote, I was thinking about the other day about somebody had mentioned on the radio Adolf Hitler and how he aroused the crowd. And he would get up there screaming these epithets, and these people were just, they were hypnotized by him. I guess, I guess it's the kind of leader we need today. We need somebody inspirational. We need somebody that is a doer, has been there, and
1: done it. Kid you not. This is who, you know, Elise Stefanik thinks is somebody she should endorse. Okay. so once again,
0: bravo for Elise Stefanik, the jackass or Jenny of the week here at PNN. You stepped right in it, Elise, or as the World Bank president spoke on Face the Nation today about how the lack of fertilizer globally is resulting in lower crop yields and food scarcity. I'd recommend that the World Bank visit the GOP the conservative justices on the Supreme Court, the Federal Society, and especially Stefanik's office, as they are full of it.
1: So that's our jackass of the week. Bravo, Elise Stefano. Brava. Okay, so that is our show for this week. I hope you learned something.
0: I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to check out my, my uh, journalism, you can go to buzzflash, B-U-Z-Z-F-L-A-S-H. I'm running a series as the featured columnist that is titled Judicial Precedent. There are three parts right now. Um, I will be setting up a Substack account soon. I I know it's been a really rough week, and it's easy to feel discouraged. It just is. So I had a little levity
1: at the end of it. But the fact remains. This is not the time to be frightened. We don't have time for fear.
0: We don't have time for hand-wringing. All of us that believe in equal rights have to band together, and we have to work together and stick together like glue, that nothing can break us apart. That is the only way we will defeat These fascists, because that's what the GOP has become. They are the party of white supremacy. They are the party of the Confederacy, the neo-Confederacy. And they are the party of neo-Nazism. Keep your fight going, all I can say. And together, as a friend of mine in Bangladesh said, we will change the world
1: and for the better. With that, I say good night and God bless us.